three days after I bought the truck, a lady backed into me in the, in the street, and now the, the truck is dented on the front. I got strep throat. All three of my kids got sick. We had, uh, my battery went out on the truck that I had just bought, I had to buy a new battery. Then, and I'll tell some of this story later, we had a great time at the Exo Marriage Retreat, and all of a sudden, I'm stuck on the side of the road with no cell phone service, and my alternator goes out in the truck. Then I lost two of my favorite pairs of boots. Maybe the ladies understand more than the guys in the room, but when you lose your favorite pair of shoes, two of them. And then this morning, I'm dropping my kids off at school. My glasses fall out of my pocket and snap in half. And I'm just like over and over and over and over and over, just like thing after thing after thing. And you wanna know the thing that I feel in my heart? Joy. You ever been through those seasons in your life and you're like, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel grateful? Why do I feel joyful? Why do I feel peace? Because we build our lives on Jesus. And the storms are gonna come, right? The rain's gonna come, the wind's gonna come, it's gonna blow, it's gonna beat on your house. The only thing that we're promised in scripture says that we will have trouble. But it says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. And as we're singing that song today, I'm just realizing the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And so when you face those seasons, and you feel like you're just hammered and hammered by the enemy. You know what I am? I'm grateful because there's a reason that the enemy's coming after me. Because God's got good plans in store for me. Plans not to harm me, but to give me a hope and a future. And I, and I can keep joy in the hard times, and I can keep gratitude in the hard times because I've built my life on Jesus. And I wanna challenge you. If you've been knocked off your feet by the enemy, Begin to just be grateful and say it out of your mouth. Like, I'm really grateful that I have a truck that, that I can drive. I'm really grateful that I had a backup pair of glasses that I could put on today and still be able to see. I'm really grateful that my kids are healthy again. I'm really grateful that the Lord's provided a job for me that I get to go to work every day. And whatever you can find to be grateful for, you stand on those things because God is good. And you know what? Some of our tendency at times is man, the storms of life hit, all these things happened, so I, I better call up at the church, I better have them pull my tithe. That's the worst thing that you can do in a rough season, and I'll tell you why. Because you know that the song we're singing, it says that because I've built my life on Jesus or I've put my faith in Jesus, and whenever you begin to act out of your own will, your own desires, what it does is it takes your foundation and your faith and it puts it in your own ability. And that's not a place we wanna be. And so for me to say, you know what, I've got all this stuff coming up, so I'm not gonna honor the Lord with my, the first fruits of my increase anymore, what that says is, I, I better fix it myself. I better, I better handle it myself. And let me tell you, you serve a God who is infinitely more capable than you are to take care of your every need, your every desire, amen? So if you would like to give into the house at Faith Church, you know there's multiple ways to do that. You can give online, use those envelopes in front of you, or you can give by texting. We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna get into the word of God, and, and I'm excited about it. So Father, we thank you that, Lord, that we have the opportunity to build our lives on the rock, and that you are that rock, Jesus. Lord, when the rain comes, when the wind blows, I pray that you help us to stay faithful to you because you're always faithful to us. 
And Lord, we thank you for joy in the midst of of trials. We thank you for peace in the midst of chaos. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that the fruit of the Spirit doesn't waver like the fruit of the world does. And Lord, we're just excited to be in your house tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you would like a Bible to look on tonight, we're gonna go to lots of scripture. Mr. Sammy has those Bibles for you and Mr. Jesse, so just lift up your hand if you'd like to have a Bible in your hand while we look at the word of God tonight. And after you get your Bible, you should be at Ephesians chapter four. The title of the message tonight is Disciples Make Disciples. And so you and I, if we have received Jesus, if we have believed in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and confessed out of our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that makes us a follower of Christ, which means we are a disciple. And the mark of a disciple, we're gonna see through scripture tonight, the mark of a disciple is that they make disciples. And so in Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna read verses 11 and 12. And the apostle Paul writes in verse 11, he he says, And he, this is God, and God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, or your verse may say the pastors and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so a couple of things we need to note about this verse. One, who is the minister in this room right now? And you may be thinking, uh, the guy with the mic and a Bible and a sand on the stage. Wrong, can you hear the Jeopardy? <clears throat> Say, I'm the minister. Each one of you, each one of us are ministers of the body of Jesus Christ. And so then what is the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet, what is their job? The Bible says that they've been given as a gift to equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. And so it's all of our job to be ministers in whatever capacity God has called us to. We all have a ministry. You have a ministry to your family. You have a ministry to your children. You have a ministry to your grandchildren. You have a ministry to your coworkers. You have a ministry to your fellow church members. You have a ministry when you walk into Walmart or Target or wherever you shop. You have a ministry to the waiter or waitress when you sit down at the restaurant. All of us are ministers. And the job of the leaders of the church is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Another thing I wanna note about that verse, it does not say that he gave teaching or preaching or evangelizing as a gift to a man. What it says is that he gave the evangelist, the teacher, the pastor, he gave those as a gift to the body of Christ. And so when you have somebody that's teaching the word of God, that person doesn't necessarily have a gift from God that's teaching for them to use, but as a teacher, I'm given as a gift to the body of Christ. And so who's the minister in the room? Say it together. Amen. In the Zondervan Study Bible, there's a a little caption, a little note for verse 11. And it says those those mentioned in verse 11, talking about those five gifts to the body of Christ, it says they were not to do all the work for the people, but were to train the people to do the work themselves so that the body of Christ might be built up. And that's what our heart is at Faith Church. The vision at Faith Church is three parts. If you've been through partnership class, you know this. 
It's first that we honor God, second that we empower people. And so our goal at, the, at church is to build you up and to equip you to do what you were called to do as a minister of the gospel. And again, that's everywhere that you go. If you are a carpenter, you're a minister who builds things with wood. If you're an electrician, you are a minister who does electrical work. We are ministers, amen? I want you to turn back a few pages to the book of Matthew. And we're gonna be in the very last few verses in Matthew in chapter 28. This is what most people call the Great Commission. And these are some of the last words that Jesus spoke while he was on the earth before he ascended back into heaven. And so Jesus gives these instructions to the disciples and to those who are following him. And we're gonna read what those instructions were because this is gonna apply to me and to you. So Matthew chapter 28. We're gonna start in verse 18. It says, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth because of the work he did on the cross. And then it says, here's verse 19. Here's the instruction. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I have another study Bible, it's called the Dake Study Bible. And there's a note on this verse, and this really grabbed my attention. Listen to this. For the word go, when Jesus spoke, that's how he started verse 19, he said, go. It says this applies to all believers, not only to preachers. The invitation to salvation is for all alike. Meaning that for anybody that will receive Jesus, he is given the gift of salvation, right? And we would agree, salvation is for everyone who would believe. It says, so why shouldn't the responsibility to get the invitation to others be for all alike as well? If salvation is for all of us, then why don't we consider sharing the good news of the gospel a responsibility for all of us as well? It says, we all have the same rights, privileges, promises, and provision for equipment and service. We should all help in every possible way to evangelize the world according to our ability and direction from God. There is no excuse for millions of church members to leave this work to only a few people who seek to obey the Great Commission. So you know what that means? When Jesus spoke the words of the Great Commission, when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, he was talking to all of us. What he spoke was for each and every one of us who follow him. So that means it's all of our mandate to make disciples. So you may be asking then, what does it mean to make a disciple? Let's look at the very next verse, verse 20. He says, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus doesn't leave anything to question. He tells us exactly what it means to make disciples and it's to teach people how to obey, how to observe all the things that Jesus commanded us. That we would teach people the word. That we would be a witness telling people the goodness of God in our lives. We don't have any problems talking about, oh man, did you see the Super Bowl? You wouldn't believe that last play and blah, blah, blah. 
But what about, oh man, you wouldn't believe what God's done in my life. Let me tell you about how he saved me from this and let me tell you about how he provided when I had a need like this and let me tell you how he healed me when I was struggling with this. And those types of stories, those types of testimonies that are personal to you and you've experienced the power of God in your own life, that's the most powerful tool you can use to make disciples because you're drawing people into something that's real and genuine. You're making disciples as you just share your story at work. You're making disciples when you, when you talk about the great things that God is doing in your church. Like, oh man, you, you should come and see what happens at my church. You wouldn't believe how God moves at the altars and how people are touched and their lives are changed. You're making disciples. As a follower of Christ, that's my job. That's my mandate is that I would make disciples. And you do that by sharing the gospel, sharing what he's done in your life and by teaching them to obey what Jesus has commanded. So in order to make disciples, we're gonna need someone to be with us. And at the end of verse 20, Jesus says, he gives us all these instructions, go make disciples. He says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And then the end of verse 20, he says, and surely I will be with you to the end of the age. So you're not doing it alone. You don't have to share it alone. You don't have to know everything about the word and be a biblical scholar or, or graduated from seminary because the Lord himself is with you wherever you go. And he's with you to help you to make disciples. All of us, as we seek to make disciples, we're gonna need three relationships in our life. If we're gonna be effective disciples who make disciples, we have to have three relationships in our life. I want you to write these down. In our lives, we need a Paul. And Paul's here, he's like, hey, I've already got that one. We need a Paul, we need a Timothy, and we need a Barnabas. And so we're gonna walk through those three relationships, what they mean, and how they play out in our own lives. And so the first we're gonna look at is a Paul, and a Paul in our lives is somebody who is discipling you. You need a person who is mentoring you, discipling you, teaching you to obey all that God commanded, because I don't know about you, but I will never, until I get to heaven, reach a place where I've arrived and don't need anybody to help me anymore. And I don't need to learn anything anymore. We should always seek to be learning. And so each one of us needs somebody who would point us in the right direction. And I want you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter one. The first relationship that we need if we're gonna be effective disciples is we need a Paul. Now, Paul wrote most of the letters in the New Testament. He didn't write the Gospels, he didn't write Revelation, and there may be one or two books in there, he didn't write Acts, but he wrote most of the other books in the New Testament. And what he was doing was he was making disciples as he was writing. And you see, all throughout Paul's writings, he was writing to certain churches or certain people groups and telling them, this is how you live for Jesus. And these two letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. And I want you to listen to these words that, that Paul uses as he opens up his letter to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter one, verse one, he, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So he addresses him right away and he says, Timothy, you are my spiritual son. You are my child in the faith. 
And so Paul identifies right away, he's like a father to Timothy, a spiritual father. And so Timothy could look to Paul when he had questions about what to do in certain situations, when he had questions about what something in the word might mean, when he had questions about, well, should I do this or should I do this as a young pastor? I need that wisdom from an older person to help guide me. I want you to turn just a couple of pages to your right to 2 Timothy chapter four. And we're gonna read something that Paul wrote to Timothy and you can just hear the father, the coach, the spiritual father in, in Paul's voice as he's writing. We'll start in verse one of chapter four. And he says, I charge you. He's saying, Timothy, I charge you. I challenge you. I double dog dare you. That's what he's saying to him. He says, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, here's the charge. He says, Timothy, preach the word. He said, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He said, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. But then he says, hey, Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Man, do you, do you hear all of the nuggets in there that Paul, this spiritual father, is imparting into, into Timothy? He's saying, you may look around and you're gonna see all these other people abandon the gospel and start to seek for false teachers, but he says, you preach the word and you be sober-minded and you be vigilant and you stand strong in the faith. He's helping Timothy when maybe Timothy's feeling weak or he's, he's having these thoughts and doubt in himself and he says, Timothy, you fulfill your ministry. You do what God has called you to do. All of us need a spiritual father or a spiritual mother like this in our lives that'll help us from getting off track, that'll mentor us and challenge us in our faith. We need a Paul in our lives. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews is just a couple books right there to your right from 2 Timothy. We're gonna be in Hebrews 13, 7. We need somebody to be a discipler of us. We need to be discipled. We can't make disciples if we aren't being discipled ourselves. You may have heard it said this way. You can't give out what you don't have on the inside already. If I'm gonna disciple people, if I'm gonna make disciples, I've gotta be discipled myself. And so in Hebrews chapter 13, verse seven, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So this is saying we need older people, people who are older in the faith. Age on this earth doesn't matter all that much. But what matters is age and maturity in the faith. And it says those that went before you, those that have been believers longer than you, those who have more experience with God than you, imitate their faith. And how are we gonna imitate their faith if we're never around them? That's where we get those Pauls in our life, that we, we look to them so that we can imitate their faith. And so I started realizing that a, a, a few months ago, 
last year, the end of last year, that I didn't have a real Paul in my life. I mean, I have a lot of exposure to really, really wise men of God. Even my dad, very wise man, but it's, we don't have this mentor-mentee relationship. And so the Lord actually put Pastor Stormy's son-in-law, Matt, on my heart. And he, the Lord told me, you need to ask Matt to mentor you. And so I started to think about it, and if you know Matt or if you don't, he essentially, he's about 10 years older than me, he's been married about 10 years longer than I have, his kids are 10 years older than my kids, and 10 years ago, he had the job that I have now. And so I started meeting with Matt regularly, and I would ask him questions. I would open up and share my heart with him. This is how I feel in these situations, and what do I do when this comes up? I had something come up in my family, and I did not know how to handle it. I still really don't. I'm having to seek the Lord on this situation. And he gave me these these biblical answers, and he said, you take authority over that in Jesus' name, and, and this is what you tell your kids. And he walked me through those circumstances, those situations. And there's been marked change in my life, marked more maturity in my life as I've listened to his wisdom and as I've submitted myself to say, what do you think I should do? What have you learned in your experience here? And he, it's been life-changing for me. Find those Pauls. And I will say this, Pastor Stormy cannot be everybody's Paul, okay? If everybody in the church wanted Pastor Stormy to be their Paul, then you'd each get you know, 10 minutes a year and that's all that he would do it's not, it's not your pastor, it's find somebody that you can sit across a table with who's been through some things, and the Lord will put somebody on your heart. Ask him, Lord Jesus, show me a man or show me a woman who can impart wisdom into me and to be a Paul for me. Just like we need a Paul, though, each and every one of us, we have to have a Paul in our lives. We also need a Timothy. And if we're gonna be disciples of Jesus, then we also need to be making disciples and that's what the Timothy relationship is all about. So turn back to your left. We're going back and forth to the, to the epistles of Timothy. We're back in 2 Timothy, chapter two. You are never too young to start sowing into somebody. Even if you're in elementary school, there's people that you can sow into and there's people that you can share the gospel with. You're never too young. Don't, the Bible, even in, in Timothy, it says, don't look down on yourself because you're young, but set an example for the believers in life and faith and in purity. And so yes, you need somebody who's older in the spirit than you, who's older in the faith than you, and you can look to them, but you also need to be that for somebody else. And you don't have to have all the answers. Remember what Jesus said? I'm gonna be with you until the end of the age. But look what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter two, and we'll read verse one. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know what Paul's saying to him here? Hey, you were around me and you heard me preaching, you heard me teaching, you've got all this wisdom from me, now you go give it to somebody else. And then that person will give it to somebody else. And do you see how the teaching and the the mentorship of Paul multiplies? Because disciples are to make disciples. And so it'd be foolish of me to get all this wisdom from Matt like I was talking about, and then just to sit on it, to keep it for myself, and to think, well, sure glad he did that for me, and he even bought my lunch, that was a great deal. But for me to never 
go and impart wisdom like that for somebody else. There's people that are younger than me in the faith. There's people that I can sow into. There's people that I can pour into, and I should be doing that. So you need to have a Timothy in your life. You have a story and you have a testimony that somebody else can learn from. God has done something in your life that is unique and he's walked you through things that have given you this unique story and he's done that not just for you but so that you could sow into and impart into others. Turn back to your left a couple books to 1 Thessalonians chapter two. We doing all right out there? All right, you're quiet tonight. So you're all thinking of Valentine's Day or Singles Awareness Day, whichever boat you're in, we're good with either one. I bought myself some candy. Okay, nobody bought me candy. I bought my kids candy though. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So that's just what we're talking about, that it's not just about, let me share the word with you, let me share, that's so important, and you've gotta do that to make disciples. But it's also about your own story. It's about what God did in your life. It's about the time that he delivered you from that addiction. It's about the time that he healed your family member. It's about the time that he brought provision and that money came through and you didn't see a way it was gonna come through at all. It's about what God's done in you that you can share with others. That's part of being a discipler. When I was 14 years old, my dad had a guitar. If you know my dad, he is not musical at all. But he just had high hopes and he was like, I think I could learn guitar. So he bought one and it stayed in his closet and he never touched it. But as a 14 year old, I was intrigued. And I just knew that guitar was in the closet and I wasn't allowed to touch it. And so I found myself trying to sneak into the closet to get around this guitar. I started asking him like, dad, could I just play the guitar? And he's like, oh, fine. And so I just wanted to learn music. I was not musically gifted at all. I actually, the choir teacher at the church told my parents when I was little, they're like, hey, just so you know, he's probably tone deaf. Like I don't, music's not his gig. I was devastated by the way. But I just loved music, I loved instruments. I, I loved, and so I started like, you know, noodling around the guitar, couldn't do anything. They didn't have YouTube back then. And so there was a guy who was a youth minister or a youth leader in the church I was at at the time. And he wasn't like on staff at the church at all. He wasn't the worship leader. He wasn't the youth pastor. He was a volunteer youth leader like we've got down there in, in our youth room right now. And he knew how to play guitar and he would play on the worship team at the church. And I would ask him questions. I mean, I guess he just noticed me being wide-eyed and mystified at when he would pick up his guitar and play. And so I started asking him like, hey, like what, what's a, a G chord? How do you do that? And he would show me. And it went from him just like telling me things after service to he offered to meet with me once a week. And he said, you bring your guitar up to the church office and I'll show you a couple of things. And so we would meet up there and he would show me, this is how you play a C and this is how you get between the two chords and this is how you hold your right hand. And he, he poured into me and he sowed into me and for that season, I became like a little musical Timothy to him. He doesn't know this because I haven't seen him in a lot of years, but you all know I like took that musical gifting and the Lord has sowed into me and used me to where I have a degree in commercial music now and I went to Bible school for music ministry. 
Right now in my life, I'm teaching a worship class at Trinity High School. It's a, it's a zero hour class, so it's in the morning, like 7.15 to 7.55 every day. And I've got dozens of kids that have come through that class over the years, and I've done that same thing with them. They, they may say, hey, I'm, I'm just here to like run the lights because I'm not musical at all. And by the time they leave the class, they're able to play piano or guitar or drums because I was able to take what Curtis sewed into me and sew it into somebody else. And we had chapel today and my high school kids like lead worship for the middle schoolers at, at Trinity. And I was just standing there in awe today, not of anything that I've done, but of the way that multiplication works. That that one man invested in a teenager 21 years ago and now because of him, and he doesn't even know this, but that teenager that he invested and sowed into has been able to sow into and invest into countless other lives. And each one of those kids, I've got kids that graduated from Trinity that came out of my class that are full-time music ministers at churches in town. And they're teaching uh, kids in the youth group at their church how to, how to play instruments and how to worship. That's how multiplication works is that that one youth leader sowed into a teenager who sowed into a teenager who sowed in, and that's what we're called to do. Actually, multiplication is the mark of faithfulness. If you look at the parable of the talents, what was the mark of faithfulness? Jesus said, whenever the, the, the first servant came and said, you gave me five talents in here, I gave you five more. I doubled times two. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And the one that said two, you gave me two talents and here I have two more. Did he say, hey, you should have had five like the other guy? No, He's, you doubled times two, you multiplied. Well done, good and faithful servant. The only one who is a wicked and lazy servant is the one who did nothing with what God had put into their hands. And so we have to be multiplying. As, as disciples, we need to be making disciples. So we've got a Paul, we need a Paul in our lives, we need a Timothy, somebody that we are discipling. And lastly, we need a Barnabas. And a Barnabas is an iron sharpening friend. In the book of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, this is actually where the term men of iron comes from, but Proverbs 27, 17 says that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So if they're both iron and they're both in this relationship with each other, then it's not one man sharpening the other one or this man sharpening this one. It's mutual. We're building each other up. We're sharpening each other. And we need friends like this in our lives that hold us accountable, that walk beside us through the storms of life and that when we get around each other, we make each other better. We make each other look a little bit more like Jesus. Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the, the book right next to Proverbs. And we're gonna be in Ecclesiastes chapter four. So who is Barnabas? Barnabas, we read about him in the book of Acts. And Barnabas shows up in about Acts chapter four. And in Acts chapter nine, this is when Saul, who later became Paul, was converted. And you remember he had the, the road to Damascus experience. And so Saul started wanting to minister with all of the apostles, but they were afraid of him. They're like, dude, you can't join our club. We saw you try to kill Christians. We saw you try to, try to put them in prison. 
Like, no thanks. And he's like, no guys, I've changed seriously. And they're like, yeah, likely story. And they thought that he was even trying to spy on them so that he could get them captured. They wouldn't let him in. But Barnabas came and vouched for Saul. And he said, no, no, I've seen the transformation in this man. He said, we need to let him be a part of what we're doing. That was Acts chapter nine. In Acts chapter 13, the apostles sent Paul and Barnabas together to be the first ministers sent out to the Gentiles. And they traveled all around that region ministering and sharing the gospel and making disciples of the Gentiles together, side by side. That's what Paul and Barnabas were. And so look at Ecclesiastes chapter four in verses nine. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil or for their work. And then verse 10 says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. You know, if I'm gonna be honest, for a lot of my life, that's where I've been at. That maybe it's because of personality or maybe it's because, I mean, I have seven brothers and so I always just considered like my brothers are my friends. But I never took the time to invest in a relationship that was like a Paul and Barnabas relationship. And this is an area that I'm still working on, that I'm still wanting to look for a Barnabas and be a Barnabas so that I can have that iron sharpening relationship. And you've gotta be intentional about this. Now your spouse is a great friend and my wife is my best friend. I hope your spouse is your best friend as well. But I think that we need, if you're a man, you need another man. If you're a woman, you need another woman an iron sharpening relationship, an iron sharpening friendship. Somebody that can look at you and be like, dude, you goofed up, you need to go apologize to your wife. Somebody that doesn't matter what time you call, they're gonna answer and their answer is yes. Somebody who would take a bullet for you and you would take a bullet for them. And so what happens if I, I don't have a friend like that? What happens if I, there's no Barnabas in my life? You wanna know the way you get a Barnabas? You be one, that's exactly right. In, in Proverbs chapter 24, or I'm sorry, Proverbs 18, 24, it says that he who has friends must show himself friendly. And so I'm gonna tell the, the story of what happened to me this weekend at the EXO marriage retreat. Uh, Philip is here, Philip and Mandy, are y'all both sitting in the back? There they are. Um, I don't think that myself or Philip that we would consider ourselves to be like the Paul and Barnabas he says, yes, we are. <laughs> but I needed some help this weekend. And on the way back from XO, my truck broke down 20 miles outside of Riodosa. Completely dies, like won't start, won't do anything. So I get off to the side of the road, pull out my phone to call for help because all of the staff was right in front of me. No cell phone service. So it's just me and my wife, no cell phone service, no truck, stuck on the side of the road. So I'm looking at my phone, it's got the little picture of the satellite on there and it says SOS. And so if you hold down the two side buttons, it like makes this crazy loud siren sound and calls 911 for you. So the dispatcher answers and she sends a sheriff to help us. So the sheriff pulls up after about 30 minutes or so and pulls up behind us and he lets me use his phone and I called Pastor Shelley. And I'm like, hey, I tried to text y'all but I have no service, we're stuck on the side of the road, I don't know what to do. She goes, hold on, let me check. So she like texts, calls the rest of the staff. They're all like past Roswell by now. Okay, 
So she calls a tow truck for us. The tow truck takes two hours to get there, comes to get us, and tows us back to Riodosa. And we're like, man, what am I gonna do? Well, Philip and Mandy had decided to stay an extra night after the, the marriage retreat was over. And so as soon as I got started back to Riodosa, I got my cell phone service again, all these texts start popping up, right? And some of the staff is like, you can see the text came in two hours ago. They're like, we'll come get you if you want. That would have been nicer. <laughs> but I see all these texts from Philip, and he's like, man, we got you. We're gonna take care of you. You can sleep on the couch bed at our, at our um, hotel room that we've got. He said, we're gonna drive you to Roswell. They, he had already been checking. Like, there's no car dollies in Riodosa but they drove us to Roswell that night and back to Riodosa to pick up a car dolly. Then he bought my dinner so that my wife and I could eat a great meal. Then he, he offered to let us stay on his couch bed with him. Then in the morning, he got up super early so that we could get a jump start because it snowed like eight to 10 inches overnight in Riodosa. So he helps me get my truck put up on the dolly. He tows it with his truck. We ride back home to Lubbock with them. It took us like almost seven hours to get from Riodosa to Lubbock, which is a three and a half hour drive uh, because of all the snow and because he had the truck pulled behind him. And every time I was like, dude, I, I don't know how to thank you. I, I really don't. I don't. Like you've done so much for me this weekend. I do not know how to thank you. And he'd be like, dude, don't worry about it. He'd be like, I'm sure that you would either do the same for me or I'm sure that you'd be able to help somebody else someday. He said, don't worry about it. And man, you know what? If he needs anything, if he calls me in the middle of the night, I'm gonna answer and I'll do whatever he needs because he was there for me at a time when I had a need. And so if you don't have a Barnabas relationship, you find somebody to be a Barnabas for. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, lead me to somebody that I can have that iron sharpening friendship with. And the Holy Spirit will lead you to a Paul, the Holy Spirit will lead you to a Timothy, and the Holy Spirit will lead you to a Barnabas. And then it's just your job to walk in what God has called you to do with those relationships in your life. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that you lead us and that you guide us and that you've put us on this earth with other people to live our lives with. Lord, I pray that you would bring each and every one of us a Paul, someone to disciple and mentor us. Bring each and every one of us a Timothy, somebody that we can sow into and we can multiply what's been imparted into us and send each and every one of us a Barnabas. Lord, that we would be iron sharpening friends for each other. Well, we ask Holy Spirit that you would help us as disciples of Christ to make disciples ourselves in Jesus' name, amen.